The Holy Gospel according to Luke, the 12th chapter. Jesus has been teaching for a while. He gets to kind of the crux of the matter in this section. I came to bring fire to the earth, and how I wish it were already kindled. I have a baptism with which to be baptized, and what stress I am under until it is completed. Do you think that I've come to bring peace on earth? No, I tell you, but rather division. From now on, five in one house will be divided, two against, three against two and two against three. They will be dub, divided, father against son and son against father, mother against daughter and daughter against mother, and mother-in-law against her daughter-in-law and daughter-in-law against mother-in-law. He also said to the crowds, when you see a cloud rising in the west, you immediately say it's going to rain, and so it happens. And when you see the south wind blowing, you say there will be a scorching heat, and it happens. You hypocrites! You know how to interpret the appearance of the earth and sky? But why do you not know how to interpret the present time, the gospel of the Lord? So a couple weeks ago, uh, there were six groups from this congregation, groups of nine people, each paddling through the Boundary Waters, which is 1.1 million acres of pristine wilderness in northeastern Minnesota. Uh, interestingly, bordered to the west by uh, Voyagers National Park and to the north by uh, the Quetico Provincial Park in Ontario. So it's actually about 3 million acres that's all interconnected and just beautiful and largely untouched. Uh, this happened to be the, and we're all on separate routes and don't really see each other during the full week. So this happened to be the group that I was paddling with. This is us at the end of the trip. At the start of the trip, we did not have a particularly large amount of paddling or portaging experience. So it's a seven-day, six-night trip. On the morning of day six, I guess it was more about noon, it was already thundering in the distance. And the thing about uh, being in a place like the Boundary Waters is, you know, if it starts raining or thundering, you can't go inside because there's no inside to go to. So you just have to kind of evaluate where you should best be at that time and make your way there. Uh, as the uh, sort of leader of our particular group, I decided that the best place for us to be would be right in the middle of a lake. Uh, when that storm hit, which is pretty much where we were when it came rolling in. But it was like the perfect storm, not the movie perfect storm, that would have been bad, but it was like literally the perfect storm. There was no wind whatsoever, uh, so we were just paddling through calm water. And this complete downpour, but you know how some summer rains can be cold? This one wasn't. This was wonderfully warm. I didn't even put my rain gear on. It was so awesome. It's kind of hoping that the Lord would send some shampoo, too, to be a part of it. Because remember, this was day six, and things were getting a little gamey in our entire group. There was no shampoo forthcoming, however. Nevertheless, the nice warm wane was awesome. It did provide us with some motivation, though. I should say that there was a canoe group coming in the other direction. And there was a woman in, that, in the lead canoe, and she saw me and I was kind of in our lead canoe. And she just got this big smile on her face, and I think she was joking when she said, Are we having fun yet? I think she was, actually. I was having fun. So uh, we were pretty motivated at this point. We got to our portage, and in record time, we got our uh, six 50-pound portage packs up on people's backs, and we got our three 19-foot canoes up on people's shoulders, and we went blazing through that 80 rod, which is about a quarter of a mile, portage into the other end, and by the time we got to the other end, uh, it had stopped raining, and we broke out high fives and crushed granola bars for everybody. And there was a sense of accomplishment because we did in a couple of minutes what it had taken us like a half hour at the start of the trip to do. 
and, and also it had stopped raining and life was good. There was, in that group from that point on, some sense of real connection. Real connection, among other things, takes time, it takes being real, not fake, and it usually takes some, in fact, I think it always takes some stress, some challenge, some uh, detour, some, some problem or some joy that is not the norm, and in the face of all of those things together, perhaps then real connection happens. It's something that I, I think people long for almost more than anything in life. So then more recently, six of us were in El Salvador visiting our two partners down there. Uh, some of your benevolence money in this congregation goes to this. This is a vocational training program for people at Cordero de Dios, uh, our partner congregation in Soyapango, El Salvador. So when we do scholarships here, they're not just for kids. They're also to help adults get uh, essential skills so that they can uh, find employment or uh, create self-employment for themselves uh, where they live. And so this particular group of people uh, primarily did kind of a culinary program cooking and then kind of a cosmetology program. Uh, so the culinary people like made all their stuff and then put it out with a little sign saying who made it and what it is. And it's good I took this picture when I did because they put out this wonderful feast for us and like in 10 minutes it was totally gone. So all of that food disappeared almost instantaneously after the taking of that picture. Um, the person with the glasses on and wearing the, the black kind of blazer is Melissa. You've prayed for her. Uh, when our February 2018 group came back, she was in the hospital. She has diabetes and was suffering complications from that. And, and they were really uh, worried about whether she would even live. And, and it reminded us a little bit of, of Pastor Norma's situation where she too was in the hospital and, and uh, there just never could be a handle on what was going on there, and it's about four years now since Pastor Norma passed away. Um, so in Melissa's case, we decided that we would devote some resources because we didn't want that to happen to Melissa. We've known her most of the time we've been down there. She is an awesome person and leader in that congregation. And, and eventually she got better, and uh, here she is uh, doing whatever it is that like women do with their nails. I honestly didn't know exactly what was all going on here, but it was like apparently very awesome. And then the last step is to pick one of those colors to have your nails done by it. And, and so um, if you've given some prayer in the direction of this person you've never met by the name of Melissa, there she is. And there is between her and our groups, and especially the people who are most involved in her situation, a sense of real connection, and there always will be, because those things take time, and you have to be real and not fake, and there has to be, honestly, stress that causes it to actually connect. I'll leave her up there for a little bit. Uh, I think this is somewhat true, but somewhat oversimplified too that there's a, this thing that in volunteer organizations including churches that 80% of the work gets done by 20% of the people. I don't know if that's totally true but I think there's a little truth to it and to me it's not the work that maybe the 20% of the people are doing but that perhaps 20% of the people are for whatever reason uh, at certain points in their involvement in say a church able to take the time and to be real and not fake and face some sort of stressor in their lives or the life of the congregation or one of the ministries of the congregation, uh, that, that it 
goes to a different level for them and real connection happens. And maybe that does only happen for about 20% of the people in the organization. If you turn that into numbers, that would be, if you have five people, that would be one person. And that little ratio is, of course, of some significance today. Our gospel lesson is Jesus. And, and Jesus seemingly is at this point in, in his teaching with his people that he says, I've pretty much just come to blow things up. You know, I've come to bring, you know, fire. I've come to bring, you know, not peace, but a sword. People always kind of wonder about that. It's like, whoa, Jesus, you are like really getting after people. Um, but Jesus is just a really good teacher, and, and he's really good at using exaggeration. That's what his culture uh, excelled at. I don't think he, he had all of the saying that he's coming to blow us up. In fact, it, it's just the opposite. He's coming to try and create real connection among his people. But he also knows that that doesn't happen easily and it will be dif difficult, and that actually it creates some distance between people who have, have maybe had that experience and the people who have not. And, and so when he runs those numbers by you in today's gospel lesson, think of them in the positive rather than the negative. When he talks about two against three, think of that as two out of five, or three against two, think of that as three out of five. And so perhaps what he is saying is, is I provide the spirit and the power and, and, and the, the perseverance so that, that maybe instead of just 20% of the people, then maybe actually 40% or 60% can experience real connection in their relationships or in the important work of, of, the, of the, the work they do or the congregation that they are connected to. In all of his teaching, I would say really in the end he, he only talks about three things. Like any, any great Jewish teacher, the most important thing he talks about is, is don't ultimately give in to idolatry. Don't worship yourself instead of God. His next big topic is, is, is don't you know, worship at the altar of materialism. Um, the only thing that endures is God and people. All the material stuff is a mirage and actually kind of a trap. And the third thing he spends a lot of time on is don't add to the violence, be it emotional, physical, or anything else of our world. Um, anybody can return evil for evil. It is my people's task to return good in the face of evil. These are the, these are the big things he lays in front of all of us. But isn't it also true that on a daily basis, the, the biggest struggle... <laughs> Is, is not just actually to connect to other human beings, but the dread that sometimes fills our souls that we have lost the connection. That there's somebody important in your life, a, a sibling, a parent, a spouse, and suddenly they seem very distant from you. You, you fear that they have passed you by or gone in a different direction. And we kind of become paralyzed in those moments. We lose our power. But there is the spirit from above that perhaps causes us somewhere one last time to approach that person. And, and then if you do that, you find out that, that they're actually just feeling the same thing. That they were wondering if you had passed them by or gone in a different direction. 
maybe, maybe in that moment of stress, you both are real again, not fake. And you make the time. And everything changes for the better. So we were able to go to a church in San Salvador, which in a part of the, the town that uh, used to be very unsafe, and we, it's now safer, and so we were able to go there. Uh, and and it's, a, it's, it's shaped like a rainbow, and this picture really doesn't do it justice, but all those stained glass windows are just beautiful, bright colors of the rainbow. It's a gorgeous place to be inside. Uh, interestingly, this was, a, this was a sanctuary for people during the brutal civil war in El Salvador. That was 40 or 30 years ago, depending on uh, the dating of it. Um, and it still is a wonderful sanctuary for uh, people to pray and worship. Off to the side are the Stations of the Cross. Uh, for those of you who grew up Catholic, how many stations are there? Yeah, go up just a little bit. You're close. 14. Uh, typically, there are 14 stations of the cross, which you, which you walk on Good Friday, remembering the suffering of Jesus. And the artwork on the stations is beautifully done. Someone did them in wrought iron. And the very first one is the condemnation of Christ. Uh, if you look in the very up left, that's a, that's a bowl. And then the ironwork is water pouring out of the bowl into the hands of Pilate as he washes his hands of Jesus. Uh, when I first saw it, though, I also was reminded of, of, the, of the coins kind of flowing through Judas's hand. Uh, so whether it's Pilate or Judas, this representation of how life literally kind of slips through our fingers and becomes death. So remember, I asked you how many stations are there to the cross normally, and normally it's 14. Interestingly, at this particular display, there were 15. What do you think the 15th and final station was? Wisely so, the artist included the resurrection. In other words, the story doesn't end on Good Friday with the burial. The artist purposely chose to include the resurrection because there really is no point to Good Friday if he just dies so do we all. The whole point of that narrative is that it leads us to Easter and that the good news of the life of Jesus Christ is Easter and resurrection. I don't know where you think you are in life. Is it trickling through your fingers and away? I think we're often deceived by various mythologies in our world. I put one in the opening thought of, of the bulletin about how people who work in, in recovery really are changing their view on a lot of things, including the idea, the mythology that you had to like hit rock bottom before you could, could ever work on recovery. And there are all these other mythologies that we kind of live by, that there'll be like this one person who will bring us world peace or somebody who will solve cancer, and I guess the mythologies allow us to feel like we care without actually doing anything about it, because somebody else is going to do it. I think maybe the biggest mythology of all that we should constantly be aware of as Christians is when you look at that cross, what does it, what does it mean to you? 
And I think there's a tendency for us to say he died so that we won't die. And that's, that's not what that means. Um, what it means is he, he died so that we could live. We are an Easter people. He's the one who gives us the energy to be the 40% or the 60% instead of the 20%. He's the one who teaches us to make the time, to be real, not fake. And instead of running away from or protecting ourselves from the stresses of this world, to literally seek them out. To seek them out. Because it's only in those places that any of us are supported when we need it. And it's only in those places that we fill somebody else up when they need it. Who doesn't long for real connection? The people who achieve it are an Easter people. 